I want us to look at our foundation scripture, and I, I threw everything off in the back, and I'm sorry, AV team, and they had a little um, intro to the, to the message tonight, but uh, we're good, right? We're golden? All right. Let's get right into it, because we're just going to run out of time. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and is cast and is cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. This has been our foundation scripture. We're dealing with the different spirits that come to attack God's people. By the way, I have special people with me tonight. I have the White family in the house. Guys, all four of you, would you just stand up and wave at everybody real quick? We love you so very much. Pastor Dennis and Bobby Joe and their children are with them. That's kind of rare, too, nowadays. They're all in college and doing different stuff, all growing up and stuff. I follow you all on Instagram, like, what happened to the little kids? <laughs> They're all older now. Good to have you guys with us. We love you, and we're thankful that you're here tonight. I just want to share this, though. We are uh, talking about these spirits that attack God's people, and we found out that every one of those ites are giants. They're all giants. And tonight, we're going to talk about the spirit of the Perizzites, the Perizzites. That word in Hebrew, Perizzites, means this. <clears throat> it means a belonging to a small village. And it carries the idea of smallness or tight-knit smallness and limited vision. I'll say it again. Perizzites, this is a giant now carries this idea of smallness and limited vision. Just touch your neighbor on the shoulder, not too hard, and say, we're slaying a giant tonight. You in? Come on, yes, you in? Did you know that giants have bad eyesight? That people that have gigantism uh, have eyesight that's troubling. It's, it's hard for them to see well. And this spirit wants you to see like it sees, wants you to see that <clears throat> your life is limited and your life is small. How does God want you to see? He wants you to see just like him. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him, God, who is able to do. I'm trying not to preach too fast tonight. But right there, we could stop right there and call it a night. Praise God. I love the fact that God isn't just a doing God, but he's able to do. He, 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 he wants to do. He's will, that word able means he's willing. He's willing and able to do for you what you need done. And the Bible says he's able to do exceedingly. Everybody say exceedingly. And abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And that word exceedingly means to go beyond your supposed limitations. The devil's always trying to put limits, especially on God's people. And he'll always try to remind you of your past so that he can label you so that you'll carry that label the rest of your life, and every time you're about ready to get a breakthrough, or every time you're about ready to nudge through to the other side, you feel that pull back. It's like an anchor that's weighing you back to your past. Not just, not just 30 years ago, 20 years ago, but even 10 minutes ago that you sinned right before you came into this church tonight. Ain't nobody that perfect. Come on, someone say amen. So, <clears throat> he's always trying to limit us. 
This devil, this spirit, parasite, is a spirit that limits our behavior in a sense that it causes us to see things as small and see God as unwilling or unable to do for us what he's done for somebody else. And by the way, that power works according, uh, according to that power works inside of us. If all you see is struggle, then struggle is all you're ever going to receive. I just said a thing right there. If all you see is struggle, then struggle is all you're ever going to receive. On, on Facebook, and on, on, I'm just going to say it, um, I did a little live thing, and, and I was just, I felt led. I felt led. Amen, we got a child loose. Praise God. Tether that kid, will you? Okay. I don't want to be upstage. There's only one preacher here with all, I need attention tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. Preachers know what I'm talking about. Amen. Y'all can smile at me to be okay. Amen. Everybody doing good? Okay. Okay. So, so we see here, the word of God tells us that the struggle that you're going through is temporary. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But I'm lining you up with something here because I want you to see it. I'm, I'm, I forget what day it was last week. I gave a little post out there and I put it out there and said, hey, if you have any prayer requests, let me know. Write it down underneath the video and I'll pray for you. And I did that. I was faithful all day to do that the next day too. And, um, and somebody wrote right away and said that the struggle would be over. And I just said it. It just came up out of my spirit when I posted the video and I said it. And I, I still think it's true right now. It was kind of one of those moments where you just know God's saying it. That the struggle will be over at the end of your obedience to God. <laughs> I'm preaching way better than y'all want to shout right now. But am I lying? If we want the struggle to end in our lives, sometimes we need to look at why we're struggling in the first place. And maybe God's actually trying to speak to us in the struggle. Like there's a, the fourth man in the fire. He was in the fire. They still had to go in the fire to find out who he was. Amen, somebody. So <clears throat> I posted that. And you know what? They weren't angry. They weren't upset. They actually wrote me and said, thank you so much. I needed to hear that. Thank you for doing that. And that's a powerful thing. By the way, there are two reasons for struggle. Number one is because of disobedience. And number two is just the opposite. It's because of effectiveness. So either somewhere you're being disobedient to God, and that's the reason why the struggle continues to rage in your life, or it's because you're being so effective for God, the devil's trying to buffet you to keep you down. That's why I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction, what kind of affliction is it, by the way? It's light, it ain't heavy. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. How long? Come on, somebody, how long? For just a moment. Not 25 years. If you're struggling with the same thing over and over the last 13, 15, 20 years, I'm telling you right now, that's not God. He wanted this thing long over with a long time ago. Because the, the word says what I'm going through is a light affliction. It may be an affliction, but it's light, and it's only for a moment. And I have to understand, here's the principle behind it. It's actually working for me. It's working on my behalf a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen. Man. I can't, I can't 
give my focus or my attention on the stuff that's seen for the things that are seen are temporary, which means they're subject to change, but the things which are not seen are what? They're eternal. So the things that I can see in the spirit inside my heart, those things are forever and forever. So why waste my time on the bills that keep stacking up, on the car that keeps breaking down? Come on, church. Because that is temporary. But I'm to put my time and my effort to see what is eternal. Walking circumspectly, knowing that God will bring it full circle again. Church, Jesus came so that he could reposition us because we're out of whack. Touch your neighbor, say you're whack. Just tell them because they need to hear once in a while. You're whack. He's got to reposition us. I stopped at a, a, a stoplight on Howard. And it's where you're going up on over, you're heading west on Howard, uh, coming out of, uh, off of KK. And you go up, and right there over 794 is that light. There's those two lights right there. And, and, and I kept thinking, well, well, the light ain't telling me nothing. What's wrong with this light? And I kept looking at it, kept looking at it. Then I realized I had to get a little closer to the light. I had to pull up where the line was in order to see it. And as soon as I repositioned myself, I could see what I couldn't see before. Because the light is a certain light that you can only see it. It's only necessary for the first person in line. And now I can say, oh, it's red. Praise God. I need to stop. Amen. Adam lost his position. Not going to go into all that. I've taught this many times. Adam lost his position, so Jesus came as the last Adam to regain that position so that he could reposition us so that we could have a perfect connection with God. The little girl that died, and there was a funeral being held, and Jesus was going by, and they said, Lord, she's dead. And he goes, she's only sleeping. And they were dead. She was dead. He said, only sleeping. Why? Because he knew what he was about to do. He's the resurrection and he's the life. And he gets in there and he sees her and he gets everybody out of the room. And he says these words, Talitha Kumai, Talitha Kumai, which translates, come up to another level and see. In other words, he's building faith to everybody that's in that place. I wish I had two people that understood what I'm talking about tonight. That's why John in the book of Revelation said, I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven and a voice spoke to me. In other words, you have to first be looking. You've got to see something in order to hear what God's saying. And if you're unwilling to see something, he can't speak to you because when he speaks to you, you won't understand what he's trying to tell you. Because if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I'm not talking about your natural eyes. I'm talking about those spirit eyes that God gives you. All right, now, I want to switch gears for just a moment. Numbers chapter 13, verse 16. And we're going to bring it all full circle. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see um, what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether they are forests or they are not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruits of the land. 
Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. And they're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw, whom we saw with our natural eyes in it are men of great stature. So all this milk and honey jazz, all this big grapes and, pro- and produce and, and huge cities and houses means nothing because there's no way we can defeat the enemy that has claimed the rights to that property. Even though God said dispossess the possessor, sorry, we're not able to do that. And then there, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. I get that part. The second part I don't get. And so we were in their sight. Which giant did they walk up to? Hey, look, um, what do you think about me? How do I look? T- I don't, they assumed. Come on, y'all. We're letting the devil rake us over the coals. We're letting the enemy stomp on us like a welcome mat, wipe his feet on our backs, and treat us the way he wants because we're afraid to engage him when this jerk has already been defeated 2,000 years ago by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we just let him walk into our lives? Well, he's done a lot. I mean, he's got some power. No, he ain't got no power over a believer. None. Invicta. (laughs) I'm going to start using that in my tongues. Praise God. Invicta. (laughs) Then it goes on. Numbers 14, 1 through 4. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness? Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Tonight, very quickly, as you can see, my time is running out. I'm going to give you six symptoms that a parasite spirit has and how you'll know he's been attacking your life with limitation in your vision. Number one is this. Number one symptom is that you'll feel helpless and hopeless. You'll feel helpless and hopeless in need of pity, in need of pity. Look at verse 14, chapter um, 14, rather, verse 1 again. It says, they wept all night after hearing that news about how big these giants were. And after hearing the report, they saw, even though none of them were there, only those 12 spies. But after hearing the report, they saw, the Bible says, how small they were. They saw their weaknesses. They saw how small they were. They saw that and they felt hopeless and helpless to get anything accomplished. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred or denied or delayed makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. It's like losing weight, y'all. Come on, somebody talk to me. Help me, somebody. And you've been putting in the work and you get in that scale and it says you gained a pound. Come on, man. The devil is a liar. Jesus is the Messiah. Come on, suppose amen to that. What does it do? It robs your hope, right? 
It's like, I did the work, and now I gained the pound. How does that work? And you want to go out and eat everything. That's just me. All right, just, okay. I'll show you. I'll gain another pound. I'll let you know. I'll do it my way this time. Here's the principle. When all you see is your natural limitations, you'll never have supernatural manifestations. You will see loss and not victory. Discouragement and not hope. Breakdown and not breakthrough. Failure and not success. By the way, don't make fail yours. So when it comes, you don't have to transition into that nonsense. You don't have to accept that as that's a part of your life. You don't have to go with the label, look, I'm just a dumb idiot. I can't get anything done. That's just a lie out of the pit of hell. Don't make fail yours. Let me ask you a question. Who sets the limits in your life after all? Who's the one that gets to set the limits? You say God, but look what it says, Proverbs 4, verse 20. It says, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who will find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of the mouth spring the issues of life. Now put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. What are perverse lips? What's a deceitful mouth? Words that you say about you and others that God didn't authorize. So when you're talking mess about you and how stupid you are and you're always a loser and you can't make it in this way it's always going to be, God says that's a deceitful mouth. You need to put that thing away. Tell them lying lips to shut up. Amen, somebody. And he said, because out of the mouth springs the issues of life. And that word issues is the word todah. And it means this, it means setting the borders or the boundaries. So in other words, we get to set the borders and boundaries of our life. So when we think small and we, um, we um, believe for small, that's all we'll get is small. Maybe a little bit above that according to the scripture, but not much. A three by five life will give, three by five thoughts will give you three by five life. So if you want to change that, you change the way you think. You change the way you engage God. You change the way you see your life. You change the way the word of God speaks to you. Number two, the second symptom of a parasite spirit attacking you is complaining. Numbers 14, 2, and all Israel, all of them, complain against Moses and Aaron. Let me make this statement. When you complain, you blame. Amen, somebody. And the first thing they did when they started complaining was talking about leadership. And if they're the one that let us out in the first place, we wouldn't even be out here eating all this stuff out here on the, rock, the rocks and drinking rock, water out of a rock and, and, and having this stuff called manna every day. We would, we'd be back, back in Egypt having all the onions and garlic we want. That was their vision. That's all they could see. They were so locked into what they used to have. They couldn't move forward in faith to the land that flows with milk and honey because all they could do now is say, look, here we go again, one more time around the mountain. It's got to be Moses and Aaron's fault. And the blame game begins. And then church, beware of the vision vandals. People that will come in and speak negatively about the things that you're believing God for to get you to complain like they complain. Y'all don't want to hear this tonight. If they take you out for coffee and start complaining about stuff, change the subject. It's going to be a short meeting. Come on, somebody. But at least that junk didn't get in your spirit. 
Listen to some of the conversations around. Dip in sometimes the conversations at Starbucks or what you're eating. And everybody's talking about somebody else behind their back. I'm preaching real good now. And they try to get that negativity up in your spirit so that it will stop your flow for God's next level in your life. And that's a vision vandal. They come in and they vandal. So when you tell people, make sure you tell the right people about where you're going in life. Tell the right people about your vision. Don't just put it out there for everybody. Only certain people can handle where you're going. Come on, church. Find a trusted prayer warrior that will help you and guide you and, and it will speak life into your vision, not tear you down. Some folk don't want you to get better. They don't want you coming. They don't want you coming. They don't want you coming around their house with a new car. They don't even want you moving out of the neighborhood. They want you to stay like it's always been. Jenny on the block. Come on, church. Talking the same mess we did in the 80s, 90s, and wherever you were brought up. Let's go. They will come and talk you right out of what you see because of their own insecurities. I had a preacher come in one time. He was preaching for me. I, I, I knew him, not really well. He was more of a friend of my dad's and that um, he had met. In, and I, but I read his books back, back in the early 90s, and good guy. And I brought him here. This was back in 2000, I don't know, four or five, something like that. And uh, we were on that side of the building. We weren't in this part at all. And he's prophetic. He's got a big church. Now he's got a huge church in Scottsdale and in Phoenix, Arizona. He's a, he's a, a Hillsong church. And um, <clears throat> we brought him in. I showed him the building. Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. I know what he's got in Scottsdale. He's got an incredible facility. I've been in it. Beautiful. Everything's brand new. Everything here was funky. Funky carpet, funky people. Come on, somebody talk to me and say amen. We had orange, we had orange chairs and blue carpeting. Y'all didn't even know I had the Bears colors. You didn't even know it was a subliminal effect. And I was sticking to the Packer players every single Sunday. Y'all didn't even know it. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I didn't do that. And it was, and, but I was proud of it. So we started, I said, here's what we're going to do here. He's walking, he's quiet. He's quiet. He's got his arm And the first thing he said, says to me is, well, you couldn't, you couldn't buy like anything like this in uh, Phoenix. You, you couldn't get something like this at all in Phoenix. I don't care what you can get in Phoenix. We in Phoenix. This is, this is Milwaukee. Come on, someone say Amen. We're in Milltown. This is, this is different. We're here. And he couldn't say one thing nice about an old building that we are just, just getting up and running. And I thought, what's this guy's problem? I thought, this guy is insecure. Couldn't say one comment. You never walk into somebody else's house and say, well, I could never afford anything like this. You say, nice place. Amen. That's insecurity. When you're found complaining, you'll be left remaining at the same place you started. That's why it was one trip after the other, after the other, after the other around Mount Sinai in the wilderness because they continued to complain and murmur against God's vision and God's word. And there they go again. A whole generation dies in the wilderness. Psalm 78, 41. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Number three. The third symptom of an attack from the parasite spirit is rehearsing regrets. Rehearsing regrets. Numbers 14.2 
says, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we would have died in the wilderness. Rehearsing regrets is a case of the if onlys. If only I had a better marriage, I could really fulfill the plan of God in my life. If only I had that man. If only I had that woman. If only I had a better upbringing. If only I had the right connections. If only, if only, if only. You don't need one of those things. I'm telling you, all you need is God on your side. And if God before you, who can be against you and speaking in faith? As a matter of fact, this God tells us he uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. Amen. So if you ain't got one connection, but you got Jesus, you got all you need in life. So let it go. Everybody say, let it go. Let that go. Philippians 3.13, brethren, do not uh, count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and I reach forward to those things which have, I, uh, had, I cannot continue to rehearse the regrets and bring up the if-onlys. Number four, the fourth symptom of attack for the parasite spirit is you will begin to ask why. That's a big one. Look at Numbers 14.3. Why has the Lord brought us out to this land? You begin to question the very will of God for your life. Why did this happen? Why didn't God stop it? Why am I always going through this? Why didn't I get the victory? Why is it always me? There's nothing wrong with asking why, but if he doesn't answer you, can you trust him anyways? My wife preached a great message called, called um, can you trust him when you can't trace him? Can you say, Lord, it doesn't matter. I'm going to trust you anyways. There's certain things he can't tell you all of it because you wouldn't believe it if he told you. He's handling business you don't know anything about, and it's never for your bad. It's always for your good. He doesn't hold you back because he's not a good enough father to get you through. If he held you back, there was a purpose and there was a reason, and more than likely, it had to do with your life. Amen, somebody. Generally, when people feel life's unfair, they begin to look elsewhere. They want to go where... The grass is greener on the other side. I want to have a ministry in this church. Y'all ain't going to like this. Y'all ain't not going to like this. But it's a ministry I want to start called the Packing Your Bags Ministry. And the next time I hear you complain about Milwaukee, I'm going to believe God for a bus ticket. And I'm going to pack your bags and say, get out. I'm tired of you talking about it. Do something about it. Or shut your mouth and buckle down and do what God told you to do here. I feel led to go to California because that's where God told me to go. I noticed he didn't tell you to go to the Philippines. I noticed that. How come God didn't call nobody to Calcutta no more? But we want to go to Silicon Valley, boy. We want to go out to Hollywood. Disneyland, right? California, beautiful. It's beautiful until you start punching the clock just like you punch it here. Next thing you know, you win traffic. You ain't looking at the mountain scenes no more. You don't even think about the water no more. You're just trying to get through another day. 
the, wherever the will of God is, is where you find your purpose. And when you find your purpose, you find that you're settled, you find that you're at peace, and you got joy, no matter where you're at. Because there's some that were sent, and there were some that just went. And I don't want to be the latter. If, God, if I'm leaving, which I'm not, but if I was to leave, it would only be by God. And, the, and God would have to confirm it by 15,000 things. Because I know that I know that I know I'm called to be here. So it don't matter how tough it gets. This is where I'm supposed to be. Number five, the fifth symptom of an enemy attack from the parasite spirit is you'll begin to feel like a victim. Numbers 14.3 says this. <clears throat> so should we become victims? They literally use that word. Are we going to die out here in the wilderness and just become victims of our circumstances? When this happens, you will set yourself up to get hurt over and over and over again. It's a rejection spirit. And when you have a rejection spirit or you have this, uh, you have this mentality of being a victim, <clears throat> Nobody can ever love you enough. Nobody can ever do good enough for you. It's like a big black hole in your life, and it sucks all the energy out of people until they ain't got nothing left, and you still want him more. You need to be healed and set free from a parasite, which I say has to do with this rejection. It has to do with this victim mentality because when you get a victim mentality a person that has a victim mentality always feels like someone owes them something you owe me no I don't yes you do you're a preacher after all where, show me in your bible where it says that my bible says I owe no man nothing but to love him amen somebody so let's keep it straight and let's keep it real some of the victim's mentality will feel that everyone else needs to change and conform to them. And they take no personal responsibility to change themselves at all. It's so draining. But I, can't, I don't have any friends. I can't find any friends at that church. It's not the church problem. You've been to 10 of them and you can't find one friend. It's not the church problem. You at some point got to look at three of the fingers as you're pointing as somebody else pointing right back at you. And you've got to start saying, wait, maybe it's me. Maybe I've carried this thing long enough, and I need to get myself rid of it. Number six, the sixth symptom of an enemy attack by the parasite spirit, and I'm done, is the feeling to retreat. You want to retreat. Numbers 14.4 says, let us select the leader and return to Egypt. And you know what? When you get weary, you will desire for things to go back to the way they used to be. I just want things to be the way they were. Can I tell you something? Ain't never going to happen again the rest of your life. You will strive to go back, and you can't go back. Lightning won't strike twice in the same place, and you're not going to go back and recapture everything. the way. Even if you could do your best to make it happen, it wouldn't be the same feeling. It wouldn't be the same. You've learned too much now. You're not the same person you were even then. You don't want any more headaches. You don't want any more worries. You don't want any more tough problems. Guess what? That means you're not going to receive any more advancement either. No more promotion. No more victory. Because in this life, we're supposed to take up our cross. 
deny ourselves and follow him. He did not promise it was going to be easy every day of our lives. But he did say that in all that we do, there would be victory. Amen, somebody. Don't you dare quit. Don't you dare give up. You keep pressing through. You're recognizing there's a spirit here that you're dealing with. It's got to be broken in your life once and for all.